0: Hi, welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host, on a quest towards stories, tips, and ideas that will help you grow a business without being stressed out, worn out, and ready to quit. Each week, I'll interview other business owners who have successfully grown businesses of all types for many years. It's my hope that these conversations will help you build a business that lasts. On this episode, I interview Clint Draughty. He is the president and COO of iMethods in Jacksonville, Florida. They've been in business for over 14 years and help serve its employees, consultants, and clients in the healthcare IT consulting business. Clint is the kind of guy that I feel like is just inside of my brain when he talks, the kind of guy I want to be like. He really cares about his team. He really cares about his clients and really has done an amazing job growing his company over the last almost 15 years. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Clint. Hey, Clint. Thanks for being on the show today. Hey, Jay. Good to see you. So uh, you have been in business a long time and uh, had a lot of opportunities over the years to grow and change and learn. But where I always like to start is to hear a little bit about why you started uh, iMethods and why you got in business for yourself. What made you take that leap as an entrepreneur?
1: Well, I guess it, it doesn't start when we launched the first company, which was called Medical Methods 14 years ago. It really started in my youth. I really like riding bikes and in order to fuel my desire to, you know, change the parts and so forth, I needed to have money. So I started a lawn business. And so kind of the classic American tale, I had a bunch of yards that I mowed every week and that grew into business. And I started putting flyers out and I realized that I, I liked that. I liked the idea of um, business before it was even introduced as entrepreneurship. And then that kind of led into college. I ended up leaving college for a while and, and started a company with a lady in South Florida and I learned a lot about, you know, business from that experience, sales, marketing, how to bring something to, to market. And so went back to school, finished my degree, and then that led into a career, a corporate career for about eight years. But I always had a heart to to try to do my own thing. And, and so fortunately, I had a really good relationship with a guy that I worked with for years. His name is Chad Purse. And we decided that um, we wanted to go out and do something on our own. We explored all kinds of options. But about that time, actually, it became um, kind of the desire to have our own business and be entrepreneurs. But it really was led by our faith and our desire to be with our families. That was really the impetus. And it ended up being our wives that told us, hey, enough, enough's enough. Go start something and take mm-hmm. the risk. We got your back. So there's a lot more to that story. But that, so it started when I was young, went through college, and then after about nine years in corporate America, taking the leap uh, to do it for, for our faith, for our family, and for um, try to build a great company with those kind of concepts in mind. and so that was, that's what started and um, we made the commitment in 2003 and left January 2004 to start the whole thing that's changed a lot over the years.
0: So that transition's interesting because for me you know I grew up at same kind of thing you know had the lawn business, sold stuff out of my wagon, you know all mm-hmm. those kind of early entrepreneurial stories. But I didn't end up in the corporate environment. So I'm always kind of curious to hear how that transition went for you to go from, you know, education to corporate America, you know, very different environment, and then say, you know what, I'm going to leave this security over here and I'm going to go yeah. out on my own. What was that transition like for you originally?
1: Well, I think it's it's counterintuitive, you know. And it, it, if you ask a lot of people, they thought I was crazy because mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I was in a nice role at a young age in a good company, and I was learning a ton. But there were some other big factors that drove me to the decision. So it was like, first of all, it was um, a very big company, multinational, big company, and so. You know it was just big and corporate, and so there was that there was the other piece that was travel. my role that I was in required a lot of travel. I think I traveled twenty six times the year before I left, so it was every other week I was on the road and we'd had our first child and we wanted a big family and so it was like this doesn't line with my my family goals and so you know, but then there's the financial piece, right? There's the, I've got to dump, there's risk. There's no money coming in. It's all money going out. All that stuff was there. So what I did is I saw a counsel. I knew I wanted to do it, you know, and it, a lot of people want to do it. Mm-hmm. What, what did I have what it took and was I really ready and so forth? So I got some counsel, and I went to one of my, my good friends who happened to be an elder in my church and sat him down and, and others. But I remember that conversation specifically because he said, Clint, you know, over the years I've counseled a lot of guys just like you that have had the corporate experience, want to do the entrepreneurial thing. And he goes, very rarely, he goes, only think one or two people have ever really done it. They're either fear, they can't trust, they can't get rid of the the financial piece. I mean, whatever it is, they kept getting stuck. And he goes, can you get over that? Can you, you know, can you trust and, and, and is it a calling? Are you going to be obedient? That kind of thing. So we had this cool conversation and I left there not scared. I left resolved, like I am going to do this and I feel called to it. And, you know, that really transitioned our whole kind of why into a faith experience really that was the kind of the turning point because I felt like it was a calling and that I was supposed to do it not just for for me and my family and, and my business partner it was it was the much bigger ultimate purpose of what why we were supposed to do it and and then how we were supposed to live out our life mm-hmm. and our live our whole life wide open transparent and that was the heart of the business from the beginning and the what like what we do has changed and it will continue to change but why we do is, is not changing so
0: yeah I love that I, I think what's interesting about that to me is it kind of relates to what I really believe in, which is a lot of people use the term work-life balance. And I kind of hate that because it indicates that there's this thing over here and there's this thing over here and there's this giant separation. And somehow we need to give this 50% and this 50% or whatever is equal. And I always say it's more like a blender where some days you need a little more spinach. Some days you need a little more Mm -hmm. fruit, but it's not work over here, family over here, friends over here. It's just life, you know, and then it's figuring out how that looks for you and how yours looks. doesn't need to be how mine looks I think it's interesting that you use the word calling, too, because that's a word that a lot of times is often kind of saved for ministry. And uh, the last podcast interview I did actually was with my uncle, and he uses the word to minister in his mission statement, even though they're in the insurance business. And it's that same mentality of we can care for people and want to help people regardless of what we're actually doing. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I usually wait till the end is this whole topic, actually, is how family kind of fits in. And your story is perfect to start with this because one of the primary reasons it sounds like you started the company was because of family. Mm-hmm. So now as the company continues to grow and your responsibilities have changed over the years and wh- what you do has changed over the years and how you do it's probably changed too because of technology. Mm-hmm. How have you integrated family in your schedule in, in a way that allows you to still grow the business, but allows you to give them the time that they you know need, want and desire and that you want with them too?
1: Yeah, I mean these are all important things. And again, I, as you said, it's it's evolved and changed. When we first started, I, I had—I think we had just had my second son. He was an infant, and so my business partner had a young child as well. So that phase of life is just different. You know, the needs are different—physical needs. So the good thing is I wasn't on the road. I was at home every night. That kind of thing in the beginning. The company that we started um, didn't require a lot of travel. So travel was a big deal. But the long view was we wanted flexibility. As the business grew, hopefully our roles would change and be probably more and more strategic and less tactical. And, and that has definitely happened. And so over the years, each phase that we've kind of gone through with the kids and, and, and their ages changing, our business growing has allowed us tremendous flexibility. I mean, I've done all kinds of things that I really dreamt about and that why we did it, such as you know, coaching high school football, that's been a dream. I was able to do that for a couple of years. I'm able to teach at the, the co-op that we're a part of. I'm able to. Um, I've been to every sporting event or coach every event for all my four kids for years. It's, you know, left me time to be active in my church and community in other ways. Um, I'm very involved in community activities that allows me to do that. Soon. And Plus, you know, I have had my kids along the journey. They've been along the ride. They're in the office a lot. You know, they, they like to. They love coming to my office and hanging out. And I've taught them a lot, I think, through the business, I hope. And then more recently, as they've gotten older and the businesses mature further, our dream as a family is to travel together. And so we bought a little RV, and for the last three summers, we've spent weeks at a time. What the mm-hmm. first time was a twenty-six day, you know, twenty-six state adventure, seven thousand miles, and we got to see the West, you know, the Grand Canyon. All those dreams you you hope when you start a company that maybe one day you could do. We've been realizing those and. So that integration, that make, that blender that you've talked about has been, has been a huge part of, to me, how I, you know, the, the, we've coined this thing, meaningful work, right? That's mm. what we're after is meaningful yeah. work. And one of those key things is, is just that no silos live wide open, have uh, no barriers and it's all together. And, and there's a lot of transparency in that with the family of what's important and you know, what doesn't mean that I don't work hard and I don't sacrifice at times and things like that, but I can pick and choose those really well because of how we set it up. And I have a partner, and I couldn't leave that out. Chad has been super supportive on that. And that I think that's pretty rare to have a business partner that's so yoked where we see eye to eye and all that. And he's got great flexibility with his family. I have too. And we support and, and help each other through life. On And we've been through a lot of life together for 14 years. I mean, we've been sure. been through a lot. So uh, that's been an essential part to this whole thing working.
0: Uh, a couple things that stand out in that that I would like to kind of drill down on. One is thinking about freedom of schedule, you, know, you just talked about taking an extended family trip. And I know for a lot of business owners, especially people that are new in business, they maybe got into business thinking, well, great, now I can work for myself. My schedule can be whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. And I remember mm. for years, uh, our team was distributed. So I worked from home. and All of our team worked from their homes or Starbucks or wherever. And I always said, the great thing about working from home is you never have to go to work. The bad thing is you never get to leave. And, and so I'm curious for you how that if it was always like that because you really did a great job planning it intentionally from the beginning or as if you've had to kind of transition to that as your team's grown, you had more opportunities because I know for me personally, I could not like there were years because I didn't plan it well that I never took a day off. I mean, yeah. like never disconnected. And it got to a point where my wife was like, look, we need a plan for this. And one of my goals one year as a company was literally to build the infrastructure to a point where I could take a week off and it not need me. Yeah. So I'm curious for you how that, if it's changed over the years or if that was kind of very intentional from the beginning and how that's worked.
1: I think the idea was very intentional, but the seasons have changed and the business has matured. And again, because I do have a business partner, that's helped a lot. So, yeah, I think in the beginning, I mean, if if my wife were sitting here, she would tell you that, that I worked probably seven to seven for the first few years. And, you know, I didn't have near as much flexibility as I probably think I did back then. But, yeah, so as the business has matured and with the intentionality and the planning, we've done a pretty good job, I think, of taking advantage of that opportunity. So, um, but I do think it requires that intentionality. Like you said, you had to set a goal and, and make it very clear and transparent to everybody. Like, this is what we're going to do and why. And then then you accomplish that, right? So I think if I had an entrepreneur buddy tell me when we first started to – because I had I think I had the Pollyanna, you know, in five years, I'm going to be doing something totally different. I'm going to have all this time and freedom. And he I think he even slammed the table and said, no, it's going to take you much longer than you think and it's going to be harder than you think. And so I'm here 14 years later and, and so I can glamorize some of that. But, yeah, it took years. So all those things that I've done the last five years, for example, took nine, 10 years to get there to do. And so I'm definitely enjoying that freedom more now than I did in the first phases, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and
0: I think that's a really important perspective, especially for anybody listening that has been you know, in business for a year or two, three, four years, maybe even five years, and they're going, I don't even know what these guys are talking about. Yeah. Like, this is insane. I work seven days a week, seven to seven, <laughs> six to yeah. nine, you know, whatever. And, and I think the reality is, Behind the scenes, all of us at some point had to put in those yeah. hours to be in a place where we could have those opportunities. Otherwise, uh, there's a uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Michael Hyatt, and one of the things he talks about in one of his newer books is having an intentional plan towards life or drifting through life. Mm-hmm. Anybody out there's listening? If you haven't read the book Living Forward, he wrote it with another partner. It's just exceptional, and he talks about that idea of intentionality of What has to be true today in order for that to be true, whatever that is in the future.
1: Totally agree.
0: Thinking about your partner, that's also an interesting thing for me because I've never had one except for my marriage, but that's somewhat different at least, you, you actually use the word yoked to talk about your relationship with your business partner, which mm-hmm. is typically a word used for marriage, uh, in the Bible anyway. And it's this idea of you know two ox being connected side mm-hmm. by side, pulling in the same direction with the same power um, that allows you to drive even harder and have really multiplied results. So I'm interested to hear from you how that has matured over the years and how you have each kind of figured out your own strengths and roles within the company and what that's looked like.
1: Yeah, I think that yoke is, is appropriate because that's the thing. We were so kind of, again, aligned or yoked on the key things why we were doing it. Our purpose was so um, real to us and the core values were so consistent that, um, you know, that really has helped us in so many ways. So when, you know, when you've had really good times, you celebrate together on those things. And when you go through challenges or trials, that's one really you know, you're tested and to see if you're really yoked and aligned and and we've been through enough, trust me, that uh, we've, we've been really well aligned. And and so the trust factor, the transparency, the, you know, doesn't mean it's easy. I mean, going back to your question around you know, how do you figure out roles and definitions? And we have a strengths-based culture here. So we are pretty keen with, Hey man, what are you really good at? And what are you talented at and gifted at? And what am I, and what does your experience tell us? So we pretty quickly kind of separated roles where I became more operations and leadership and so forth. And his was sales and marketing kind of stuff. Um, and that's pretty much stayed true. Even though we have overlap um, on some of that stuff, we've been pretty good with that. And that's helped us having some good separation and clarity on that. But most of it's communication, trust and yoking, all that core stuff, the foundational stuff that we had, and we knew each other for, you know, years before we did it. That helped too. It's like it's not like we just met each other had a good idea and just did it. We had a good foundation. And, and again, our wives sat us down in my house after we had dreamt about this and said, Enough, you two, we got your back. Go do it. You're you're aligned, you're ready to go. We we're gonna get through this together. So that foundational support, and it wasn't so it's not just Chad and I, it was our wives and us, the four of us, mm-hmm. making a commitment to each other to live this out together and and, and go after it. So uh, the foundation was key. So talking
0: about that, actually, the foundation of having the support of your spouse in something like this. I mean, how critical has that been for you over the years in order to have a
1: successful business? Yeah, it's it's immeasurable for me and for Chad. I mean, I, again, from the beginning, the trust and the, and the support to go do it, to quit your good job and all this stuff to to take the risk. And with a young family with babies in her hands and saying, go do it. I trust you. I got your back. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And not only that, I mean, I can tell you, even though 14 years later, it could sound to somebody listening like, hey, we've got it made. Well, last year, the beginning of the year was really tough for us. We had our biggest client slow down really rapidly. And that hurts in a a small, mid-sized business. And so I was struggling with that at the beginning of last year. And I remember very clearly walking the neighborhood at night, talking to my wife, Jennifer, and her absolutely lifting me up and putting me on her back and saying, don't worry about that. You're going to get through this and reminding me of the context of our history together in the companies and to be faithful and to keep walking. And I mean, immeasurable impact even last year yeah. uh, and it's daily, but I mean, there there's just times where you look back and there's just no way I would have done it. No way I'd have gotten through it. and no way would I have kept kind of that um, foundation straight without her. No doubt.
0: Yeah. I love that. And, and that intentionality of, of just being on the same page with your spouse as well. I mean, for me, I would have never kept going in design extensions if it hadn't been for Claire. There was yeah. a there was a very distinct period where I was going to go work with my uncle, and uh, you know he needed an exit plan, I needed an intro plan, and so he was going to fade out over the years, I was going to fade in, I'd be the new owner and associates, and it would have been great on paper, you know, it was good money on paper, right. and it made sense. Uh, none of his other kids really wanted to run the business, and and after six months, of the insurance business, I thought. <laughs> I don't like the insurance business. I love working with him. But I remember that day, like it was yesterday, and I went home and I was really upset. And I just said, look, I, I can do this and I can make a lot of money, at, but I'm probably going to hate it every day. And she just said, well, don't do your dream and we'll make it work. Right. And that has been true ever since. There's been days where I just didn't know how I was going to make it through. So that's really cool to hear. I love stories like that. And then one of the things you mentioned earlier when we were talking about kind of – the family stuff was seasons of life too. I think there's seasons of business. And I think it's really important that you mentioned even last year having some struggles. You know, I've been in business for a long time, almost 20 years. And yet the last two years have been really challenging because we've had a lot of change. We've grown the staff, we've input an office, all these different things. And so people that are out there listening that maybe are thinking, gosh, I've been in business for five years. I should have it down by now. I've been in business for 10 years. I should have it down by now. I'd love to tell you that it gets... Easier in some areas it really does, mm-hmm. and in other areas it just changes, yeah. and you got to kind of ebb and flow. Agree. I'd love to talk a little bit about something that is huge for you guys. You just gave me a tour of your office, which is awesome, and one of the big things you have here, all over the walls, a lot of intentionality is core values. First, what are core values to you, and how did you come up with them?
1: Yeah, so again, the the purpose was clear for us. The values are kind of things that we, that Chad and I agreed were just really important to us that we just didn't want to ever derail us. Like, so for example, we have Ardent service. We chose Ardent because it was this boutique personal level kind of commitment to our clients and our consultants so that's an example and we knew in the service business that it's all about efforts tireless efforts we have to work really hard for our customers and for everybody community was a huge thing that we both valued and we it was a huge part of why we started too is to give back our time talents and treasure to the community so we we really wanted that to be you know one of them so you can go through each one of them it's just things that we we really cared about and then so we had those written down those were part of our, our founding documents kind of thing and then after a couple, three years, maybe three or four years, even. We kind of did a gut check because as the staff grew and everybody came in, it was like, "We even asked, we're like, are we living out these things? These six things that we set out to do." And we got kind of a resounding, "We are." And then we got somebody to help us kind of write them. We have a fuller definition of each, and uh, and then so from there, it's just kind of built upon itself. So in 2012, I guess we started a real core values program where we get nominations um, each week for the staff. We have an all-hands-on-deck, 234 meeting on Wednesdays. Everybody knows it, and one of the first things we talk about is, hey, has anybody got a nomination for a staff member? Anybody can nominate anybody. And we have a wheel that everybody spins, and they get a a prize for that nomination. And then we we capture all that each month. And there's a bigger so if you have the most nominations for core values in a month, you get a big you know cash award, and then you get one for quarter, and then you get the annual is the one that has the most nominations throughout the whole year. And that's why we have the picture up in the office, and we celebrate that. So that so that's an example of the core value of a core value lived out Mm. program way that's kept them front and centers. And we also hire on it. I mean, core values is so, it's so important that when people interview here, they have to write a paper on why they think they align with our core values. I love that. So we know, and so there's a whole process. We're pretty rigorous on hiring here. Core values are at the heart of that. So it's, our clients know our core values, our consultants, our people that we hire, everybody that comes here. And you saw it on the tour. I mean, you can't not know our core values if you get to know us. It's just our heartbeat. So that's a little background, I guess, on how it's come to be. Yeah, I'm probably going to steal a lot of that from you. So when you
0: start seeing it pop up at <laughs> the uh, design extensions, thank you. Um, let's jump into kind of transition out of that because you talked about hiring a little bit and I mean, you're in a recruiting business, so, you know, it's kind of critical that you, to some extent, have a lot of knowledge in that area. I know that's an area I've struggled in a lot over the years. It's Hiring is hard. Finding the right team is hard. It's not easy work. And so what are the, some of the things that you've done over the years that have helped make sure that you have the right people in the right seats?
1: I could talk your ear off on this one. <laughs> um, and it's funny because it is a key skill that you have to have. And and quite frankly, Chad and I struggled with it for years, really good for our clients. It's kind of one of those things, right? You sometimes are really good for your clients on things that you should be good at in house, but you don't this. And this was a critical one that we weren't good at. So it took us years and we're emotional hires. We're kind of soft, bleeding hearts. So we would hire, you know, either friends or people that, you know, had potential, but just were, you know, not quite the right fit. And um, so we struggled with that. So a few years ago, we um, kind of got out of the way and Dean, who's our kind of our, um, he's currently the vice president of HR and operations. He handles the process. And we went through an extensive planning deal, all of our current, our past experience in hiring. And uh, we use a lot of Jeff Smart stuff on top grading and hiring process. So there's that, all that. So we ended up coming up with our own custom 12-step program to get hired. And we have it. It's super well-defined. We actually have a bus. We're Jim Collins nuts. So getting the right people on the bus was our theme. And so when people come here to, to take a tour and to get to know us, they get the bus, they get a physical picture of a bus with all the steps. And so, I mean, super rigorous. Every step is rigorous from the phone screen to the in, in-person office thing, the cultural fit that we have. We have a lunch with the whole staff. Everybody's got to get to know them. We have a pretty in-depth um, personality profile called the Hogan profile. They go online. So we get to know them really well. They do the written exercise. Like I said, there's all this stuff. So, and Chad and I are at the very end of the bus now. So we they they only get to us if, Everybody else has said yes, and everything kind of fits, and then we don't mess it up usually because usually they're really good by the time they get to us. But that is honestly – that's one of our probably biggest successes after many years of failing um, was getting a very rigorous commitment to hiring and having a process that was um, repeatable. And so our staff now is exceptional. I mean we are humming, and our culture is tight, and our productivity is really good. And so we feel really good about the hiring program now. But uh, it's, I think it's one of the biggest challenges any entrepreneur will face is hiring really good talent that fits the culture, that fits the vision, and can stick it out with you. It's very tough.
0: Yeah, I think, especially for me, in the early years, there's a tendency sometimes to wait until it really hurts to hire. And then when you're really hurting, the bad thing about that is you make quick decisions. Yeah. And quick decisions often are bad decisions, especially when yeah. it comes to bringing somebody in it's a very serious relationship. And, you know, I always kind of operate under the mentality now, which I did not then of hire slow, fire slow, (laughs) because some people say hire slow, fire fast. (laughs) But my thing is if I hired slowly and well, and now I think I need to let somebody go, I need to double check on why that's the case. Mm -hmm. Is it my fault? Is it their fault? There's something we could improve as a company, or is it actually ultimately somebody that's just not going to be a good fit. And so hiring is really hard. But then when you finally come to that situation to go, either the company's changed or the person's changed and you have to make that decision to let somebody go. I mean, that's one of the things I probably hate to do more than anything else. What has that been like for you and how have you learned to get better at that?
1: Yeah, I think it's gut-wrenching. I think that, uh, you know, we all go through that. Um, We had a few even last year that we had to go through and and, uh, one, for example, was a seven year guy, Mm. um, tremendous guy. Um, He really wanted a mid-management job in in our delivery team, and we actually gave him the opportunity, but we... Because of the setbacks last year and so forth, we just didn't really need the role. And he had matured to a point where he really was qualified to go do that. And so, you know, we worked really hard with him to help him find another job. He found another job. And that's happened over time a lot. And so I think because we're so transparent here, we live life to the fullest. And it's just the core value of transparency and telling the truth. We hire on that. We look for it. We cultivate that in our culture. Really helps that. And so even if I have to engage, or we as a team have to engage somebody to, to start the process to help them find another job, it's that mentality, that heart of, it's not a firing. We don't really fire anybody around here. It's it, unless they do something significantly sure. you know, that warrants that. It's usually come alongside. Look, it's either your talents don't align, your skills align, or the company's changed. And we were very open about that. And we really we work hard, honestly, on helping people find jobs. That's what we do. And we have helped people find jobs, even if we don't do it directly. We help them with the resumes. We introduce them to people. We you know do all those things that you have to do to get somebody to the better fit. So it's kind of that Jack Welch, you know, you know, they're better off somewhere else mentality without the kind of the hardcore Jack Welch approach. But yeah, we take a lot of time and care for people and we've even given them a lot of extra time to stay here. and We still pay them while they're looking for the jobs and keeping some productivity while they're here. But we have a soft heart on that Mm. because we're we're family and and that's the way we roll. And that's really worked. We actually have a pretty good alumni group of people that have worked here that we're really close with. They're here all the time. Matter of fact, that picture right there, one of our employees who worked here for a couple of years, she came in and dropped it off and donated to us just this last week. That's the family kind of thing. We're still family, even though she doesn't work here. So I'm thankful for that. It's not its not like most big companies. I mean, right. You get cut and you, that's, that's the last you ever see them. I've told you former employees help build the, the physical stuff in here. I could go on. We have a lot of alumni relationship here that's still helping us build a great company. Yeah,
0: that is. I mean, that's amazing and it's unique. I mean, that's a really special thing about your company because I can say, unfortunately, I haven't always done a good job of that. And I've made mistakes with that over the years. And, and there's relationships that haven't ended well because maybe I didn't handle the the exit well. And or maybe there's something I could have done better. And that's a yeah. tough, I love that idea of just the transparency as soon as possible, as much as possible. Not everybody can know everything, but there are a lot of things people could know. And, and that kind of ties back to what you are talking about earlier was kind of avoiding silos. Mm-hmm. And I think especially as the business owner or founder, it's easy to put yourself kind of in this ivory tower or silo unintentionally. And it's kind of that idea of it's lonely at the top. So I'd love to hear from you with regards to how transparency maybe has helped avoid that hopefully or how that's kind of worked for you
1: well, I think that uh, I mean some of it I, I guess my answer would be we I, I sit in the middle of the office I think you do too yeah. uh, I think that really helps just physical presence. I've become a pretty good planner and that's helped me because so for example i I plan lunches with my staff regularly individual conversations I get to, I know all their families I know you know and not in a mechanical process way, but in a heartfelt, intentional way to get to know them and to care for them. And so again, that's why we've had people for years around here and we're really close. So, but you have to cultivate it. So it's like a marriage thing or family thing or anything else. Like again, the same principles everywhere. So I do a pretty good job of trying to get ahead of my schedule and planning time with everybody. So I sit in the in the office, in the middle of the office. I have meaningful conversations all the time. We do a lot of stuff together. You have to look for opportunities to deepen the relationships and trust. And I guess from a managerial courage thing, from a skill set, I've tried to cultivate that over the years where um, if I have no hidden agenda, right? If that's truly my deal, I've, in my heart, I have no hidden agenda. I can freely tell you the truth yeah. that either you don't fit or your skill set's not working or there's a gap or any, whatever the issue is. And if I don't have a hidden gender or any kind of squirmy feeling that comes across as authentic and real, and I can try to, and I'm trying to help you. And that's my heart is I'm kind of the coach, right? So I'm trying to help people succeed at life. And if it's here, wonderful. And that's that's ideal because that's why we pay you. But if it's not here, okay, I will help you be successful elsewhere. And so that's why we go to such links to get to know people. Professional development's a big deal here. The Hogan profiles I talked about, the strengths profiling, the review process that we have here. We really know people well. Mm. And so and we move seats a lot. That's another Jim Collins thing, right? So you get them on the bus and then move seats. I've moved people tons on seats and I still do. Olivia, our marketing manager, was a, a producer and in delivery last year. And I, and I noticed her talent from for marketing and for and so other things. So I moved her into marketing manager role. So I moved her seat. So she'll probably stay for years. I hope. If you're listening, Olivia, um, I'd be stay for years. <laughs> if my heart is to get to know people really well, their strengths, their family, their situation. Um, I had a our HR director I've known for years. Her her life changed, and she got married and moved to Kentucky. She was my HR person, and, and you think on the outside like, gosh, I can't I can't have her work remotely. You know, she's. Critical, And I had worked with her for years in, in person, but I knew her so well and trusted her implicitly. And she convinced me that she could handle the processes there. She did it for three years and now she's been back and she's been back here for three years. Wow. So that kind of living life together and working through things and having a long view and being transparent is critical to, to me having meaningful work, honestly, to, to living it out and living life together, whether they stay here forever or not. Um, so I'm passionate about that, right?
0: That is mm-hmm. awesome. I think I could probably pick your brain all day, um, but I'm not sure everybody would last through the whole conversation. So I'll have to do like a round two at some point because I've learned so much uh, just in the last. 25 minutes, and may have eventually some follow-up questions. So I really appreciate your time today. One of the last things I always like to try and land the plane on a little bit is on your own personal development. Um, it's easy as a leader, no matter where you are in your business life cycle, to get caught up in all kind of stuff that eats up your schedule, especially when you have um, a busy life everywhere. You know, you got you got a, a big family like I do. You've got all kind of other things going on in life, and so how do you take the time? Intentionally to develop your own skill sets, whether that's as a leader in the business, or father, or husband, or spiritually. How do you take that time, and, and what what areas do you find, whether it's podcasts or books or events that help you grow personally?
1: Yeah, I don't. I think it's. Um, I think fortunately, I've got a spirit of learning, and that's one of our core values, right? But I, I've, I've always wanted to learn, particularly as I got older. Not so much as a teenager in college, but after I kind of matured. And so um, even the impetus of this company was spawned by reading a book, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, yep. rocked me, changed me. And, and, um, and so I think if anything, I, I, when I, I read a lot, I, I listen to stuff, I'm, I'm always trying to learn from other people, from other entrepreneurs, from other business leaders, you name it. So I seek it out. Uh, and I, what I, I guess one of my things is, is, I guess, the operator in me, I'm all about application, so I scan things a lot. I scan to see if there's something that fits that so I can connect the dots and do application. And if I can't, um, knowledge is fine in and of itself. But to me, I'm more—I'm I'm the classic American pragmatist. I wanted—I want to—I want to do something with it. So that's what I'm constantly searching for. But I do—I do, I have a variety of inputs and, and so forth. And so, you know, spiritually, I'm disciplined. I feel like that's been a, a big part of this journey for me. Is. You know, I've I've changed over the years on on some of those disciplines at home. Technology's changed a lot of that to me. Um so I've got good accountability. I got I mean I could I could binge here on how I stay on track, but I have an advisory board that we started before we started the company. Most of them are good family friends or um uh, people that have known the community that have kept me on track and a well-diversified thing. So if I was telling somebody, you know, an entrepreneur, any any counsel, I guess it would be surround yourself with good people, counsel, surround yourself with good friends that that help you stay on track, that help you learn, to help iron sharpen iron that kind of concept and then seek you know action and an application because i know a lot of guys that like to learn and talk a good game but they don't do much with it and, uh, I try to, I try to do something with it and, and, and help other people, you know, what'd you, you read? And so I asked survey, I survey my staff. What'd you, what'd you read last year? And what'd you apply? And we talked through that and see if, if we can get it. The dream program that you saw, yeah. um, it's an application of, you know, you can have dreams, but if you don't put goals to them and, and getting action or get support or accountability or friendship, or whatever, you probably won't live the life that you want. And so I'm all about taking concepts and, and getting it. But so one thing as an entrepreneur that it's probably helped me more than anything Um, And as a way it relates to learning is another entrepreneur, a good friend of mine, Dwight Cooper, years ago, as we were probably three or four years in, he said, you've got to go to this program. It meant a lot to him. It was was an uh, entrepreneur's organization event. And it was a, it's called the birthing of giants, I think back then, but it was at MIT and it was a a 60 entrepreneurs from around the world came to this program. They still have it and you would you 'd have three years of this program, and it was absolutely transformational for me in my business knowledge, my acumen, my relationships, my inputs and a guy that ran it his name is Vern Harnish, and I highly recommend him. So if if you, maybe you're good as an entrepreneur at some things, whether it's sales or marketing or other things, but if you're not necessarily great at structure and planning, Vern Harnish is your guy. He's got free resources on his website. We use this one-page strategic plan we have for years, super clean, super easy to get into. Everything is lined up. Everything we've talked about today is on his stuff. Your core values, your purpose, where you play your sandbox, your goal setting, what, you know, all this stuff is in there. So that to me from a, how do you run a business? It was an MBA for me is what it was by this guy. And i um, so very thankful. I spent five years at this program helping develop my own skill set. And then Chad went through it after me. So the two of us have been through the same training. So again, another yoking. We, we speak the same language. We, we run the business. We're very um, efficient because of Vern, in my opinion, without him and without Dwight and Dwight in terms of iron sharp and iron again, that community piece that I was talking about, how important that is. I remember him saying to me before I went, because I was three years in and we didn't have. A lot of money to go i was it was in boston at mit and i'm like i don't have the money for that he's like clint if you go up there and you don't think it's unbelievably helpful for you i will pay for your class wow and so i'm like all right well let's go and i and it's you know changed my life so i'm very thankful for a friend and an entrepreneur and somebody to push me to learn uh, and to go challenge myself and it's made all the difference
0: Well, this is one of those episodes I will probably personally go back and listen to about five times uh, just to take notes. And uh, so I just cannot thank you enough for taking time today and sharing your insight and wisdom. Uh, You are exactly the kind of leader that I want to work towards being. And I just really appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate
1: it, man. Thanks for coming out. It's good to see you.
0: I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.